Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books and Philosophy, a podcast channel with the New Books Network. I'm Carrie Figdor, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Iowa, and I'm co-host of the channel along with Robert Talese, Professor of Philosophy at Vanderbilt University. Together, we bring you conversations with philosophers about their new books, drawing from a wide range of areas of contemporary philosophical inquiry. Today's interview is with Bangre Siak, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Alvernia University, His new book, Moral Psychology of Confucian Shame, is just out from Roman and Littlefield. Shame is a complex social emotion that has a particularly negative valence in the West. It is associated with failure, inappropriateness, dishonor, disgrace. But within the Confucian tradition, there is, in addition, a distinct positive variety of moral shame, a virtue that, as Seok writes, is not for losers, but for self-reflective moral leaders. In his new book, Seok draws on textual evidence from Confucius, Mencius, and Shenzi, as well as contemporary moral psychology, anthropology, biology, linguistics, and ancient Greek philosophy to illuminate one aspect of the rich Confucian tradition in moral psychology. Seok explains how moral shame involves the whole self's sensitivity to moral ideals and how it supports the Confucian virtues of self-cultivation, self-reflection, and learning. Let's turn to the interview. Hello, uh, Bangre Seok, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hi, welcome to New Books in Philosophy. I'm looking forward to our conversation about uh, your new book, Moral Psychology of Confucian Shame, uh, subtitled The Shame of Shamelessness. Uh, which is a really interesting uh, mixture of, uh, well, it's an interdisciplinary approach to a series of of, of uh, Confucian texts from Confucius, Mencius, and Shunzi. Um right. But it also mixes in contemporary moral psychology, um, anthropology, biology, linguistics, so it's a, it's a very different, very interdisciplinary approach that you take to uh, articulating this special Confucian moral shame, a uh, very special sort of moral emotion. Right. Uh, and l- before we get into the book itself, um, I mean, you have this is not your first book, uh, you know, in this in this area. I should say you had a couple years ago. Um, you did a, a book on uh, embodied moral psychology and then and Confucian philosophy. So could you say a bit about your background first as a philosopher and um, your work in this area? Yes. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me in this wonderful opportunity to uh, promote my book and myself. And uh, in this book, uh, Moral Psychology of Confucian Shame, I have another book uh, came out two years ago, Embodied Moral Psychology and Confucian Philosophy, uh, and also other papers and articles as well. 
what I do in these books, especially the book that uh, right now is uh, something that is kind of different from what uh, most philosophers and psychologists do. I'm doing interdisciplinary and comparative moral psychology, which is kind of combining a bit of empirical studies of psychology and philosophy and Asian uh, philosophy. This is quite kind of a uh, different process of philosophizing. Uh, What I uh, do in those books and articles is basically well, uh, what can we learn from different traditions and different uh, philosophies? Uh, just simply, uh, there are a lot of things that are exciting and interesting because in these traditions, they do certain emotions uh, and develop them to put them to the level of uh, morality and ethics. That didn't happen in uh, Western traditions. To my background, I studied philosophy. I also studied psychology, linguistics, and neuroscience. I had uh, three years of experience in a neuroscience lab um, studying dorsolateral prefrontal cortex of primates. Hmm. So all these things Uh, put together to come up with this wonderful viewpoint where I believe that um, morality ethics is not just an abstract uh, a priori uh, study of uh, human behavior. It can be also a study of human emotion, culture, and uh, um, some of the things that we don't quite usually understand understand from uh, different traditions of religion. So that's just general background of my interest and the background of my research in moral psychology. Okay, well, it's a a very unusual sort of of background, and and you're kind of poised to do this sort of work uh, in a very unique sort of way. Uh, Most, I I would guess that most, most listeners are not familiar with uh, Chinese philosophy, the Chinese traditions. So for a lot of people uh, thinking about the, the emotions um, and their role in moral psychology, uh, as well as taking the perspective of from Chinese philosophy and particularly Confucian philosophy is you know sort of a, a very different sort of experience. So one of the, one of the things that you say right at the beginning, which I which really struck me, um, was the idea that shame is not for losers; um, it's for self-reflective moral leaders. And and I thought that sentence nicely captured the you know, the sort of the take-home message, or at least a take-home message, of the book in terms of the development of a particular kind of shame, moral shame, within the Confucian uh, tradition. Could you, you start out in the first chapter with sort of a general discussion of shame. Uh, It has many meanings. In fact, I think you say that in Chinese, there's something like a hundred different words for for shame and or in all the different nuances, which is pretty incredible. 
Um, could you explain a bit uh, in general, you know, how you introduce the, the topic of, of shame, uh, the emotion, and the different sorts of shame that even, even traditions in the West, we do, we do recognize different, different types of shame. Um, right. So, yeah, could you just give us a little bit of that background? Uh, sh- sure. Um, I, I, I would say cultural specialization here. Uh, different cultures uh, specializing in different kind of things. And uh, whenever we hear China or Chinese, the first thing that comes to our mind is Chinese food, right? So it's, it's a wonderful uh, kind of a traditional food. But here I, I talk about moral psychology. And uh, shame in this context is quite enriched and extended and ex- expanded to cover many different uh, aspects of emotion and human behavior. As you mentioned, there are probably about 100 different, I mean, I, I'm just uh, citing uh, the, uh, the research paper recently published on, that's not my paper though, uh, on uh, concepts of shame in Chinese culture. So if you look at that, it's, it's actually more than 100 different meanings. But in, in general, uh, shame is self-critical emotion. That's for sure true regardless of East and West. So that's kind of the foundation. But in uh, Chinese tradition, they uh, elaborate, enrich, and to diversify, uh, to cover uh, different aspects of uh, human behavior, human morality, and human uh, uh, culture. So to to begin with, uh, if if we say shame is a self-critical emotion, we can compare that to uh, guilt, shame and guilt. These are sister uh, emotions, and uh, in that way, they they probably in the same category, but uh, they are quite uh, different. Uh, in in shame, for example, in English, uh, we have shame as a one word, uh, but we probably can differentiate different uh, uh, different meanings of shame, so like shame in shamefulness and the shame in shamelessness. They are kind of different. Uh, if you look at European languages, uh, uh, German, Italian, French, Spanish, they actually have at least two different uh, words, uh, lexical uh, items uh, to cover the emotion of shame. So they, are, they, they do a little better than English. The English is just to kind of uh, put all these things together as so just one word. But those other European languages has at least uh, two or three different words to deal with different uh, aspects of shame. Now, in, in Chinese tradition, uh, shame uh, is number one, self-critical emotion. But it also, I'm, I'm talking about uh, moral shame. Uh, we'll talk about uh, social shame and other types of shame later. To, to, to discuss uh, Confucian Moral shame, uh, we have to say self-critical emotion, but it comes with uh, some type of audience, which is kind of uh, interesting, and that comes with uh, bodily uh, expressions, like the, uh, the blushed face or some type of body postures uh, or some type of behavioral traits. Uh, and uh, most importantly, it, in a way, Hijack, hijacking is, is kind of my term, my uh, expression. Hijack the whole 
person. It, it's not quite discreet, discreet in the sense that it doesn't uh, focus on certain aspects of the person, the person's action, behavior, uh, relations, but it, it really uh, criticizing and blaming the whole person. So it's quite strong and holistic, and at the same time, uh, embodied and uh, self-critical. So if you, if you put all these things together, uh, suddenly uh, the Confucius and his followers put that to the level of uh, moral sensitivity. So shame in Confucian tradition is moral sense, basically. It's moral sense. They just use the term shame. But what they discuss actually is moral sense. You have to be morally sensitive. That's the same as you have to uh, be shame shamefulness, uh, shame-sensitive person. So that was the uh, one of the uh, recommendations of the master, Confucius himself, when he was asked to give lifelong lesson of Confucianism, he said, think of shame. Shame, in the sense of moral sense, you have to be sensitive to the rightness and wrongness. So that's how I get interested in Confucian shame. Okay, so um, you you text. I mean, to to go into the different degrees and uh, and types of shame a little bit more specifically, uh, you mentioned it's a it's a self critical emotion, east and west, um, and it's certainly that's that idea that you know I'm ashamed, as as one might say, um, and there's also that other sense of something being inappropriate or where you'd say in English, you know, have you no shame? You know, have you no sense of, of what's appropriate to do? And those, as you, as you just mentioned, they, they tend to get mushed together in English with just one single word that gets, they are differentiated in, in Spanish and French and, and so forth. Um, but in, in, you you go on before going to the very specific aspects of Confucian moral shame. You actually do a very nice taxonomy between uh, a, a three different main senses, I guess, of shame. Uh, sub, what you call subordination shame, uh, social shame, and then of course moral shame, which is which is not I, I take it is not limited to the Confucian version and correct me if I'm wrong on that but it's it's a specific type and then Confucius and his followers uh, elaborate it in a particular way appropriate for his teachings so could you could you say a bit about those three basic you know types in your taxonomy of shame before we get into the details of the Confucian uh, articulation of it uh, yes uh, that's a really wonderful question. Uh, that actually was discussed in one of the uh, chapters of, the, uh, of my book. Um, I, I, in a way, I, I kind of uh, connect that to the discussion of evolution uh, or uh, development of uh, uh, shame uh, from more uh, biological survival uh, sense of shame to uh, more ethical and moral sense of shame. So the, 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 those 
three uh, categories or types uh, can be understood uh, from the perspective uh, perspective of not only uh, from the viewpoint of philosophy, but also viewpoint of biology and sociology and other things. So subordination shame is a, uh, basically a, a, a behavioral display uh, to show that uh, you are subordinate, you are inferior to that person. So I uh, give up, uh, I, I give in to you, uh, don't attack me kind of a, uh, a signal uh, showing uh, a kind of a, uh, shown to the uh, individuals and uh, other social groups. And typically, uh, animal psychologists and biologists report this kind of uh, animal behavior uh, in the process of uh, recognition of authority. To, to many of these social animals have these behavioral display to show uh, their uh, inferiority so that they can deal with any kind of aggressive behaviors. So this, that's quite basic form of uh, uh, shame. And the next one is social shame. Social shame is uh, quite uh, strong in many of the, those uh, uh, the, the cultures of face. Uh, so face culture is a, a culture where individuals uh, kind of recognize each other and their behaviors from the perspective of their social relations, from the perspective of uh, their um, uh, kind of a social uh, regulations and other uh, rules and the principles uh, so that they, when, when they look at their behaviors and their actions, they always think of others. If I do what other people think of me, so that's the context where they develop sense of shame. It's a strong uh, process to regulate uh, individual behaviors, but it's quite different from the, uh, the sense of morality, as we know from Western philosophy, like uh, uh, Kantian philosophy of moral autonomy. Moral autonomy is the sense of morality where uh, you think of yourself as the individual decision maker, and you don't have to, I mean, you, you probably will, but you don't have to think of other viewpoint because you really have to uh, look at yourself and to ask whether I act to live up to my uh, universal principle of categorical imperatives, for example. So that's quite different kind of a way of uh, think of actions and behaviors in a social set, uh, settings. That's a social shame. The next one is moral shame and moral shame is when uh, people continually look at uh, his or her own action from the perspective of uh, ideal authority, not the not necessarily actual authority, but the ideal authority that could be your teachers and masters or even yourself uh, to regulate your action uh, as if those ideal uh, authority figures are something that's always looking at you, which which sounds a little. Um, different from regulation of actions based on autonomy. So this is not autonomy, but this is something uh, that they found, they meaning Confucians, uh, classical Confucian philosophers find uh, found very important as, as kind of a living up to uh, his, uh, his or her own virtues, that we always think of ourselves 
from the perspective of ideal moral authority. So that's the, uh, the third form of uh, uh, shame. Now, the reason I, uh, I mean, th- these three forms of shame look different and they function differently. But wh- why do I think they are in a way connected? Um, I-, I think they're connected because uh, they have certain uh, type of uh, behavioral and psychological uh, traits together. So that's kind of an evolutionary viewpoint that they uh, evolved or changed and developed into different kind of psychological states and dispositions. But in a way, they share certain things in common. Uh, they have bodily dispositions and they have certain recognition of authority and uh, they are not really uh, solipsistic Cartesian kind of a process of understanding each other. It's more like socially open uh, ways of uh, interacting interacting each other and understanding each other. So for these kind of uh, uh, features and characteristics, I think they have certain things in common so they probably evolved or developed from the same foundation but in the end they become quite different uh, ways and processes of understanding and regulating human behaviors okay so you mentioned you mentioned face culture and that's a very familiar concept uh, the idea of losing face for example uh, is very familiar and and I think you know, sort of stereotypically, perhaps recognized, you know, that certain uh, certain cultures, maybe Asian or certain Chinese cultures or something, uh, there is a, a certain amount of losing face that one does not encounter as much, if at all, in in a Western in a Western society. We just we we may have something similar. You don't want to do anything to embarrass yourself. But um, I'm I'm not sure that um, that one would characterize Western cultures, say, as as face cultures. Um, what what is so? Given the the broad familiarity with the idea of losing face, that that sort of shame, which which is I think uh, the social shame that you mention. Um, could could you? What is the difference between? that sense of shame and then the specifically moral sense like if if somebody you know what would be situations in which one might have the one but not the other yeah so actually that was really hard part of uh, of my argument it, it's i mean whenever we discuss shame we end up discussing uh, something about how can that be moral emotion? It looks like more like social emotion, right. but not moral emotion. So what, what, what I mean, how are we going to distinguish those different aspects of shame? It's a wonderful question to ask. And uh, on my part, I think I have to start from, uh, I mean, from a little bit uh, towards the uh, foundational uh, issues first, and then I I will give some specific answers to that question. Um, So at at the beginning, um, we we tend to uh, think of 
morality and ethics, moral behaviors and dispositions and virtues, uh, we, we tend to think of certain type of uh, uh, template like uh, uh, utilitarian consequentialism or Kantian deontology or Aristotelian virtue ethics or social contract theory. But, uh, but uh, what, what I think is kind of important is, okay, ca- can we think uh, in terms of more concrete and specific interaction of human being? And that's one of the things I uh, found really important in my first book, which is Embodied Moral Psychology, which is basically this. Can we think of morality of, and ethics from the perspective of situational and uh, contextual and uh, relation-specific uh, way of understanding uh, of human existence and human being. So that was kind of a bigger uh, picture that I'm interested in. And then I, I found body. Uh, so body, uh, what I mean by body is not just uh, this kind of uh, internal organs and, uh, you know, uh, this kind of uh, biological structure. It's, it's more about concrete interaction of individuals to their environment. That That's basically my, my meaning of body. Uh, Melo Ponti said sensory motor exploration to the world. Uh, A.J. Gibson said uh, ecological understanding. So all these things are basically telling us that uh, there is a dimension of human being and human behavior where we have to look at this situational, contextual and uh, uh, relation-based activity. So that's kind of thing. Now, shame here is I I think it's almost 90 percent. Moral shame, I'm talking moral shame. Uh, Confucian moral shame is 90% similar to guilt. It's basically like guilt. But uh, the the kind of things that shame, uh, the the Chinese Confucian understanding of shame that's unique is uh, this sense, this moral sense, almost uh, like guilt, uh, does not give up. situational, context-sensitive, relation-sensitive meanings of morality and ethics, which translate into uh, having certain type of uh, bodily display and uh, authority recognition. Uh, These things are there not not in a heteronomous, uh, non-moral uh, submission of oneself to the authority. No, not in that sense. It's more towards the sense of uh, our concrete uh, emotional and moral experience. And I think shame represents that direction of morality and ethics. So uh, to, to be uh, made kind of a quick, uh, shame is important moral emotion. It's not just social emotion. It's a moral emotion. Because uh, I believe, or many people believe, that we have sense of right and wrong to the whole self and to the emotion. And sometimes we physically and physiologically uh, uh, respond to those things, like disgust. Disgust is very very straight, strong uh, emotion. And I mean, disgust itself is not purely moral emotion, but it also be associated with uh, uh, moral reactions as well, like some of the uh, 
uh, Jonathan Haidt's work uh, and uh, uh, Jesse Prince's work uh, would indicate. So uh, shame has that kind of dimension that uh, we uh, should focus on and to uh, look at, to analyze that we realize that shame uh, is not just a social emotion. It's, it's a kind of unique emotion. It has the moral sense, uh, but it also uh, comes with some of these uh, so-called uh, vestigial traits that may, may confuse some people, but it's important part of that because these uh, embodied and uh, uh, authority-based process of moral recognition uh, is not compromising the pure sense of morality, but actually give more sense of uh, uh, situational and context-based and relational-based sense of morality. So in that way, I believe that shame is, is a wonderful moral emotion. Well, that, that's, um, I mean, you're, you're, um, you, you distinguish it from, from guilt, although you, it's, they're, they're very, they're closely related. So, so let me just follow up on that issue. Uh, guilt is not something that we kind of seek out, right? People may be guilty for something, for having done something, but it's, it's not a pleasant emotion, you know, it doesn't feel pleasant, and it's generally categorized as a negative emotion. And shame, I mean, one, of, one of the points that you make throughout the book in, an, in a number of different ways is, is that shame uh, is typically coded in a negative way also, but your point is, no, it's, it's actually a positive emotion. So... Um, Given the way that how closely related it is to guilt, which is a negative emotion, how do you get the positive in the moral shame given its closeness to guilt? Okay, so that that's something I actually uh, needed some help from uh, psychology literature on shame and guilt. And in fact, we have uh, many wonderful publications on that matter. Um, you, you said that guilt is negative emotion, uh, which is, I think, uh, halfway right, not completely right. Okay. Because, yes, it's self-critical emotion. Yes, it's a self-critical emotion. It's you blaming yourself. So in that way, it's negative. That's true. And shame, same. Shame, shame is also self-critical emotion. But there's some uh, differences. One of the major differences there is uh, guilt uh, motivates uh, constructive uh, kind of behaviors. So uh, when a person realizes his or her uh, moral uh, errors and mistakes, um, and then he, he or she feels uh, guilt, and then he or she uh, does something that can uh, change uh, things so that uh, they can go uh, move out of guilt. Uh, shame. Uh, from the perspective of Western psychology, I should emphasize that, from the perspective of Western psychology, shame uh, motivates uh, escape. And the shame uh, motivates covering up, covering up, escape. So it, it's typically associated with some of the uh, morally compromising uh, behaviors afterwards. Mm -hmm. And the guilt motivates more constructive, uh, reparative 
kind of repairing the situation uh, type of uh, uh, trades and dispositions. So uh, it looks like they both start out with a self-critical uh, emotional foundation, but their motivations are kind of different mm -hmm. and uh, their, um, how should I describe that, their impact on these individuals are quite different. So shame has more frontal attack to the whole person. So uh, usually in, uh, in the experience of shame, individuals feel strongly about their whole self is crushed uh, in front of other people's in, in a more uh, strong, should I say, stronger than the level of embarrassment. Embarrassment is lighthearted kind of a, uh, you know, awkward situation. But if you reach out to the level of shame, you are really uh, uh, attacked or your sense of self is damaged, uh, perhaps in front of others or, I mean, without others around still, you, you see that kind of a damage. Uh, guilt, on the other hand, the damage is minimal. That's what psychologists report. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, the guilt is more discreet. Discreet. They're focusing on certain aspects of self, not the whole self. So uh, in, in terms of motivation, in terms of damage, guilt is probably better than a better meaning uh, manageable mm -hmm. and uh, uh, in, in a way more morally uh, prospective. Then shame. shame. Shame is more destructive. So that's the perception of Western psychology. Now, um, what, what I think is different, uh, the, the whole idea of Confucian shame is, hey, shame can be positive as well. It can motivate positive things. And uh, it, it may you know, criticize those individuals, but it can uh, make things more progressively so that these individuals become better individuals. So, so uh, conclusion shame, uh, trying hard to show more positive options of shame that are kind of comparable to guilt or perhaps better than guilt. So that's what I uh, see uh, from the uh, discussions of psychology and philosophy and anthropology. Now, uh, how, how, how is that possible? Uh, how is shame be, uh, how, how can shame be uh, constructive and positive? That, that's really the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there are many answers, but, but my answer is perhaps uh, it's the different uh, orientations of culture that in the... Uh, I shouldn't say Asian because it's not just Asian. Any kind of a collectivist culture, collectivist culture, this is done by uh, Harry uh, Tri Triandis, and he's a social psychologist and talks about collectivism and individualism. So it's, it's actually a psychological terms. So in collectivist culture, uh, they tend to... Uh, emphasize the relations and contexts and social interactions more than individual responsibility and individual uh, moral and social uh, actions. So they tend to uh, focus more about uh, relational contexts. They tend to minimize, it's a kind of quite controversial, 
they, they tend to minimize autonomy. Autonomy is very strong in individualist cultures. So if, if you put uh, that uh, into the perspective, uh, in uh, Chinese or Asian, or perhaps in, I heard that some of these uh, Mediterranean uh, cultures has the elements of uh, uh, collectivism. So it's not just Asian, but any kind of collectivist culture see uh, shame as relatively speaking, uh, positive emotion. It's not necessarily negative. Why? Because the, the attack or the blame on the whole self is kind of manageable. Why? Because the self, self is not just uh, uh, individual self in those cultures. Self is socially open, socially open to other people, so that this kind of a challenge and self-criticism uh, can be uh, manageable. I, I, what, what that basically means is individuals can open up and can uh, be ready to change and modify and revise uh, their, their, their selves and their identities, perhaps uh, easily, more easily than those individuals in individualist cultures. So if that's the case, then it, it's a good environment where they can explore more positive sides of shame and other self-critical emotions. I see, I think. So, uh, so, so in, this is maybe a crude way of putting it, but when one feels this type of shame, one is thinking roughly, I ought to be a better social person something to that effect rather than I've done something wrong I'm I'm a bad person I should try to be better uh, which which has a very individualistic tinge to it and right. you're saying that because the self itself is conceived of in a more as you put it collectivist manner the onus of the correction or the improvement is, I ought to be. I, I ought to participate better in the in the collective in which I'm ensconced, or something like that. That that's yeah. That that's very good way of putting the idea. Um, I, I like to add just one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you put that way, uh, once again, uh, shame uh, is going to be positive social emotion. So how are we going to put the moral part? There, right. uh, uh, the, the thing that these uh, classical Confucian philosophers put their writings is okay. So you really have to uh, think not only of yourself but also other people and your community, which is good thing. Which is basically uh, what Bernard Williams uh, discussed in his book on uh, shame, which is a wonderful book, by the way. Um, so community is important. Other people is important. But uh, Confucians add to that list. Uh, ideal uh, moral characters and figures. So it's not just existing uh, communities and people, but also you can you can really think of ideal characters and people and figures that you can live up to. So that's kind of a ex uh, extra dimension there that pushes and motivates people to cultivate cultivate their virtues. I see. Okay, so that that sounds a bit. Um, a bit like Aristotelian virtue theory, right? Um, but let me let me. Um, would you would you agree with that? Um, 
I think in a way, uh, yes, it's kind of uh, similar to Aristotelian uh, theory of uh, shame. Uh, once again, there's some uh, critical uh, differences. And uh, one of the differences is Aristotle uh, recognized the value of shame. Yeah, that's true. But he didn't, uh, uh, he didn't give status of virtue to shame. So shame is important emotion. Shame is wonderful uh, moral disposition, but wait a minute, shame is not a virtue. And at that point, I think, okay, so it's, it's quite kind of different viewpoints. Uh, the reason Aristotle didn't uh, put shame in his list of virtue, virtue means moral excellence. Moral, it's not just a moral disposition, it's moral excellence, something you really have to aspire to become. Mm. And the reason he didn't put uh, shame in his list is because uh, shame is good developmental uh, disposition. So you can really reflect upon yourself. You, you want to be a better hum, uh, human person. So that's good. But then he says, if you are completely virtuous, if you uh, uh, become uh, mature, morally mature, you may never practice shame because you may not really uh, criticize yourself in the first place. So it's good for developmental purposes, but it may not be good for the higher uh, levels of a virtue. Okay. Um, well, um, I mentioned at the start of the uh, conversation, there's three figures that you discuss in relation to shame and the development of the concept, uh, Confucius, obviously, uh, Mencius, and Shenzi. Could you say something about what each of them has contributed to this uh, this concept of moral shame? I mean, I know there's that that's a large question, so uh, perhaps you want to focus on one particular aspect of its development from the from Confucius himself through to these other other philosophers. Great. Uh, yeah, yes, that's actually uh, the, the kind of discussion I developed in the second half of my book. Uh, Confucius uh, obviously is the founder of the tradition, uh, but l let me uh, specify a little bit. Confucius is part of this tradition called the Ru tradition. So, so in, in China, uh, Japan, and Korea, in Vietnam, uh, they usually say Ru tradition. So that pre-exists. Uh, it, it, uh, to uh, Confucius' time. So Confucius is actually part of that tradition, but in from the uh, Western audience, it's always a Confucian tradition. So yes, it, it's the same tradition anyway. So Confucius is the really the first major uh, figure in that tradition, and he said uh, shame is important. So he's the, really the first one he, who mentioned several times in his book that shame is one of the major uh, virtues of a root tradition. Now, uh, that may be a little controversial from uh, the perspective of Western philosophers and audience. So at the back of my book, I actually did a little bit of a digital humanities, which is I look at all these ancient classical Confucian uh, texts and I, I search the, how many times uh, shame is mentioned uh, in uh, those passages. It turned out that uh, shame is as frequently appeared as the discussion of uh, moral courage. So that's how important shame is. 
I mean, I mean, it's it's just a numerical calculation, but I can just put that as a side note that hey, this is actually important virtue. So Confucius uh, recognized the, the the sense of shame as the sense of morality, as the uh, one major uh, disposition, even to the level of virtue on ideal uh, moral agents. So that's what Confucius did. And Mencius, Mencius is a very interesting uh, philosopher. He did a lot of moral psychology, actually. And he, I, I always compare Mencius to David Hume. Hmm. So that's kind of the uh, sense we can get. Uh, Mencius says, shame is the foundation of... Uh, I should say innate, innate uh, moral, emotional ability of the human mind uh, for the sake of the sense of rightness. Yes. Uh, so he, he talks about different Confucian virtues and their innate foundations. And he says shame is one of those innate foundations specifically to the Confucian virtue of righteousness. So that's uh, Mencius. And uh, Shenzhi, Shenzhi is also a great uh, Confucian philosopher, and uh, he specifically developed the normative, di- normative dimension of shame. So shame is, yes, natural human emotion, but he also discussed appropriate uh sense of shame and inappropriate sense sense of shame. What that means is uh, shame has normative dimension. So when you feel shame, uh, uh, if your personal ego is damaged, Shenzhi said, no, that's not appropriate shame. The appropriate moral shame is when uh, you do something and that doesn't live up to your ideal self then that's appropriate sense of shame. But it's not just uh, uh, damaging to your ego. That's that's different kind. That's not really appropriate moral shame. So, so Shenzhi is quite importantly uh, saw this normative dimension of shame, and he also talked about how to cultivate and develop shame in, in, a, in a right way, uh, which is kind of uh, different from Mencius. Mencius believed that shame is our natural emotion, it's innate moral orientation. Uh, but Shenzhi said, no, uh, we don't have that specific moral foundation. We have this uh, domain general learning ability. So use that domain general learning ability to develop morally specific dispositions. So that's Shenzhi's approach to shame. Okay, yeah. So what? Yeah, one of the, the points you do make uh, in the book is that it is, at least for Shenzhi, uh, uh, it's an acquired emotion. It's it's not some. Maybe we have the ability. We're maybe we're born with the ability to develop it, but it just doesn't develop as a matter of course. You have to have. It has to be in the right sort of cultural or social context. Is that that's correct? Right. Okay. Right. For uh, Shenzhou uh, is not moral nativist. He, he's, he believed that we just have general domain, general learning capacity. And uh, from there, we really have to develop morally specific dispositions. So Shenzhi is quite opposite to uh, Mencius' viewpoint. Okay. So, um, I mean, we, we've sort of made various distinctions as we've talked between Western approaches or 
thoughts about shame and, and conceptions of shame, and then this specifically uh, Confucian one or, or Eastern or Rue tradition. Um, so would somebody in the West today uh, be able to cultivate this sense of moral shame? Is it is it something that that an individual can do in the West, or is it is it the sort of thing that essentially requires you to be in a particular context or social context, uh, and you just can't get this moral excellence unless you're in the right sort of context. It's not it's mm-hmm. not something that that you can even hope to attain on your own. Right. That's <laughs> quite interesting uh, question. Um, so w- one of the things, I, I think I actually discussed that earlier, but one of the things uh, that I realized as, as when I uh, wrote this book is uh, how different these cultural perceptions are, uh, in not, not just in terms of behaviors, but also in terms of morality and ethics. Uh, but I, I believe that uh, shame is actually shame is one of the uh, one of the major one perhaps one of the uh, innate moral emotions. Now, th- shame is not part of uh, innate uh, moral emotional reservoir of uh, human psychology. Probably not, but uh, it's quite close to that because. Uh, in any culture, we, we recognize and understand shame. I mean, there are some different degrees of understanding, but in any culture, we have that. But more importantly, uh, shame has specific uh, set of embodied reactions. Uh, specific uh, may may not be specific in terms of facial reactions, but it's kind of specific in terms of behavioral traits and other gestures and body languages usually associated with shame. That's kind of cross-cultural. So uh, yes, it's it's possibilities open. It's just that uh, industrialized capitalist or perhaps uh, Western uh, societies, uh, they really emphasize individual autonomy. So we, we don't really have, uh, you know, abundant opportunity where we experience the gen- uh, genuine original kind of shame that Confucian philosophers talked about. But uh, I think we, we can in a way that uh, the, the whole message behind the classical Confucian philosophy is uh, you you really have to be invested on uh, right and good. It's not just part of yourself. It's it's your whole self uh, is dedicated to the right and good. And most likely, you feel shame, which is sh- shame is the holistic sense of morality, and it's embodied. It's contextual and embodied. Like you feel something wrong in your action, and when that happened, your whole self is respond to that, and sometimes your heart beats and you sweat and you breathe roughly, and all these things happen. And let, let me give one example from Mencius. Uh, Mencius has many interesting passages, and in one of those passages, Mencius specifically uh, talks about this physiological and embodied reality. 
reactions to uh, moral uh, moral wrong. So he says, okay, you gotta do this, this, this. But if you don't do that, you sense and you experience. Your heart beats fast. You sweat, and you didn't. Uh, you you cannot even look up straight. And all these things are quite interesting because he says, oh, these are how deeply, these are the things that you're, you're, you're deeply involved uh, in the domains of right and wrong. And these are not just external appearance. These are not external appearances. These are not just many kind of uh, minor manifestations of your moral mind. No, it's actually your your centerpiece of your moral mind. It's coming out of the core self. That's what Mencius said. So uh, shame is not, I, I should say moral shame. Moral shame is not far away. It's whenever you experience your whole self is responding to, to some of the uh, immoral actions and uh, decisions, then that's probably the context where you feel some kind of shame. So it's not far away from us. Okay. Um, so let, let me just uh, to sort of follow that up. What, what are the sort of typical uh, triggers, I guess, of, of, a, of moral shame? And, and what are the typical outcomes or, or behavioral uh, sequelae? I guess of of moral shame. So I'm I'm thinking, for example, uh, to take another moral excellence virtue. Uh, sorry, um, uh, another virtue such as courage, right? Which Aristotle recognizes, and and I would guess that it, you know courage is also recognized in some sense in the Confucian tradition. Um, so it, with with courage, you, you're you're faced with a frightening or difficult some sort of situation and the outcome is some sort of behavior of facing that threat or that difficult situation in some way rather than you know paradigmatically running away or hiding or something like that um so that's courage that's an easy one that that we all get what um so in, in, if you're feeling, what does moral shame do between what sorts of inputs, social circumstances, and what are the sorts of behaviors that are typical of someone who is responding to that with moral shame rather than someone who, who lacks that emotion? Okay. I, I I think I like to discuss perhaps two um, two examples. Hope, hope that helps. Um, first, I like to discuss uh, anger. So anger is obviously um, negative emotion, and anger is quite destructive, obviously. But anger also, I mean, in in, in the right context, in the right context, anger. Uh, is is a moral emotion. So you find something not right in, in a really gigantic uh, dimension, and you find something totally wrong, and sometimes uh, you get uh, get angry. 
but but at the same time, uh, anger is, is psychological uh, stress and psychological burden. I mean, it, anger is, is directed to uh, certain situations or certain people, but also it really kind of puts the uh, burden on the person who is angry. So in, in, a, in a kind of similar fashion, uh, we can understand shame. So shame is obviously, uh, you know, uh, kind of a negative emotion, self-critical emotion, but at the same time, it has a dimension of uh, uh, moral sense and even moral uh, development. And uh, uh, in some ways, some of the... Uh, 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 Social psychologists and philosophers sometimes ask me, um, shame is probably one of the major uh, causes of uh, higher uh, suicide rates in Asian cultures. And that may be true, because uh, sh shame itself is quite negative. But uh, we, we are discussing uh, moral shame, not social shame. So uh, when we look at some of the elements uh, of shame that are quite closely related to social relations and the face to other people, yes, sometimes bad things happen and uh, those individuals on, are under the pressure of uh, kind of a suicidal, uh, you know, uh, motivations. So there are some bad things, but, the, but the, really the genuinely good things about shame is your clear understanding of uh, immorality and uh, wrongness of action. That is quite uh, clear. So that should be there. I mean, without having that kind of sense, you're not going to experience uh, shame in the first place. So that should be there. And also you have to have the a clear dedication and commitment to your self-integrity and your dedication to uh, virtue and morality. That that's also should be part of moral shame. And combined together, uh, you have this stressful situation, but because you have a, a probably stronger motivation of cultivating higher virtues, you can uh, flexibly and resiliently uh, move over and overcome some of these negative uh, consequences, I should say psychological uh, consequences of uh, shame. Now, um, the other thing that I really uh, like to say is um, in, in this uh, uh, appropriate uh, context of moral shame, um, the whole self is uh, in stake. So you, you find something wrong and your whole self is responding to that and most likely some of these bad things are actually coming out of you. So, so the, 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 the sense of self is really important. In, in the case of guilt, uh, the whole self is not attacked or damaged because guilt is more discrete emotion. But shame, it's not discrete, it's holistic. So there may be some chance that the, uh, the agency or moral self is damaged or destroyed, which is really the main concern of uh, Western psychology and Western philosophy. In, in uh, Confucian uh, tradition, um, that's not necessarily the case. So that uh, yourself is not completely uh, fixed permanent self. Uh, you and I and all people uh, have to understand that the self 
is always changing and growing and developing and you know uh, always ready to take new uh, possibilities and options so the understanding of self is absolutely important in shame so again confucianism is not buddhism but still confucianism uh, the in, in confucianism the understanding of self is quite uh, developmental and uh, open it, it they 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 uh, they don't believe that self is permanently fixed uh, orientation of human being so that you always can uh, adjust and always can modify and change so that you can cultivate ideal virtues so that's uh, all i can say about uh, that okay um well i mean it's uh there there's a lot more to you know, to consider. I mean, there's there's obvious a whole obviously a whole lot of other features to the Confucian tradition and uh, its its metaphysics as well as its uh, ethical elements. Um, unfortunately, we we are we are out of time. Um, so. Uh, I guess readers will or listeners will have to read your book and, and perhaps delve more into uh, Eastern uh, philosophical traditions in order to understand uh, these various um, elements of Confucian shame and, and its its place within the larger context of of that entire philosophical tradition. But since since we're out of time, um, I just want to uh, close with one final question, which is, what are you working on now? I mean, this this particular book, um, th- there was a prior book, and and again, there's there's other works uh, that you have published uh, in the same area of moral psychology and uh, Confucian philosophical traditions, and blending those two. Uh, are you are you working on another uh, volume in this particular area, or are you moving to something else entirely? Um, I uh, am right now preparing uh, another project, uh, which concerns uh, moral psychology of psychopathy. And uh, first, I, I like to say first of all that. Uh, Confucian tradition is wonderful tradition of moral psychology. It, it's really, I can't emphasize enough on that. It's a wonderful tradition of moral psychology. It, it focuses on different aspects of mind, specifically uh, other regarding or other concerning emotions. And they also look at moral cultivation and development. So developmental aspect is there and also affective reaction to others' pain and suffering is there as well. So if if we combine these two, I think we can develop uh, wonderful uh, methodological or theoretical framework uh, to study and understand psychopathy. So psychopathy uh, right now is based on the... uh, 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 Hare's psychopathy checklist. Then if you look at the list, and there's many different kind of uh, features and characteristics, and you give different, uh, you know, different points, and then in the end, you collect all these numbers, and you decide whether the person is psychopathic or not. Uh, but I think all these different, 
you know, characteristics, we, in a way, combine together to have some uh, holistic picture of, of psychopaths. What's wrong? I mean, what's right or what's wrong with those kind of people? And uh, I, I think uh, Confucian tradition uh, gives us some, some interesting answers to that question. Okay. Um, well, I know you also, you mentioned the uh, you, some major psychopathologies in this particular book as well towards the end, but I, I don't think, I don't want to get into that at the very, very end, and we'll just leave that for listeners to, to pursue themselves. Um, so in the meantime, uh, I wish you luck with your new projects, and uh, I thank you again for talking with me, with us, on New Books and Philosophy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to an interview with Bangre Seok, Associate Professor of Philosophy at Alvernia University. We've been talking about his new book, Moral Psychology of Confucian Shame, Shame of Shamelessness, which is just out from Roman and Littlefield. I'm Carrie Figdor. This is New Books in Philosophy. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and thank you once more for listening.